So, as Pastor Rob said, we have one more week left in Hebrews. So I'm going to ask you all to stay with me as we close it up, as we combine the last two passages of Hebrews uh, because of the snow day, and not yet get into the next series. As I've said, I already have one foot in this evangelism like Jesus, and I'm really excited about it, and you're really not going to want to miss next week as we start that series. But let's finish off Hebrews well. We have the last part of Hebrews chapter 13, which is verses 7 through 25. So I'm going to read those verses for you. If you have a Bible, you can flip there or find it on your phone. You'll have the verses here behind you on the slides. But we are going to dig into God's word together this morning. Here's how the letter to the Hebrews closes up. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I will see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. I'm going to pray for a second here. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this this letter to the Hebrews that we've been diving in this past year and all that we've been learning. And I pray, God, even if it's just a verse or a sentence or a moment in this message this morning that you, you, bring, you bring it close, you bring something close to our hearts that we remember, that sticks with us, that helps us to know you a bit more, Lord, and to follow you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So last part of Hebrews, it's been over a year, so by now you probably know that the book is about the fact that Jesus is better. If you didn't shout it out, we were going to do it a whole nother time. I will go back to chapter one, we would start right over again, and we would do it all again. Uh, but yeah, Jesus is better. So he's the author, who we're still, we're not entirely sure who it was, okay? But the author is bringing just pains to show the Hebrew Christians in the first century, do not revert back to what you used to believe, what you used to practice. Jesus is superior. He's better. He's the fulfillment of all of what, of, of what the old covenant, the sacrifices, the altar, the people, all of it pointed ahead. It was a shadow of the substance of Jesus. Don't miss what God was doing. It's all about Christ. Have faith in him, When we got into chapter 11, it was about the men and the women who lived lives of faith in their pursuit of God. And he calls us to have lives of faith as well, to run well, chapter 12, this, this life that can feel like a marathon. But do it with endurance and with joy of pursuing Christ and Christ first. And then we get into chapter 13, and there's a couple of these examples of how do you run? What are the ways that he wants us to live, and it ends off with this final charge to believe and to live out our faith in Christ. And if there's something I wish I could have brought a bit more home last week, it would have been the process of this, of this pursuit. When we use, as we saw last week in chapter 13, our, our homes, our bodies, our time, our everything, how do we, how do we use that in honor of the Lord? Are we making progress? Are we, are we walking towards him? Are we getting closer in our relationship with Christ? Can you look back two years, five years, ten years ago and say, yes, I'm not perfect, but there is growth here. I am pursuing the Lord and going in the right direction. My motives are right. I'm pursuing Christ. And so this final charge is given to us at the end, and he reminds us that we're not alone. We have each other. We have leaders under shepherds that Christ has given to his church. And we have, most importantly, Christ himself, the great shepherd, all of our pastor, Jesus, with us, and not just with us, working in us to will and to do his good pleasure, his purpose. So, main idea of Hebrews 13, 7, all the way through 25, I would say is this. Let's hold to the truth of Jesus no matter the cost as we submit to our shepherds and our great shepherd. Let's hold to the truth of Jesus, no matter the cost, as we submit to our shepherds and our great shepherd. So the direction of the passage seems to be, first of all, staying with Jesus. That's verses 7 through 16. I think if you just read that for the first time and you heard some of the, what's he talking about, outside the camp and eating, like, be strengthened by food, and not by food, but by grace. Like, what is he talking about? I think the main point of it, which we'll get into it in a second, it's stay with Jesus. It's this final urging of the Hebrews, don't turn back, stick with Christ. And then secondly, submitting to our shepherds and our great shepherd, verse 7 and also verses 17 through 21. That's when I get to tell you to listen to me <laughs> and, to some, and to all the, the, the leaders uh, of the church. That'll be fun. And then the closing thoughts in verses 22 through 25. So uh, I'll give you another second if you need to write that down. But that's the direction uh, that we see the passage 
is going. And we have the main idea toward the top to remind you as we go through uh, of it. So first, staying with Jesus. I'm not going to reread verses 7 through 16, but here's what I see in these verses. It's this final push, this final urging for the Hebrews to not return to the old covenant, to not return to the way of life and belief before Christ came and changed everything. I think the best explanation of verses 9 through 12 was, there's a couple ideas of what, of what it means, but I think the best one was that the, some of the Jewish people were going to the Hebrew Christians and saying, listen, because you're not participating in the sacrifices anymore, because you're not participating in the sacrificial feasts, here were some of the requirements of the old covenant and the sacrificial system, because you're not doing that, you have no access to God. You're not part of the people of God. I think that's what they were hearing. And the author's response to that is, nope, that's wrong. That is incorrect. Remember all that that he had been showing them up to this point, that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of the old covenant, including the sacrificial feast. And he is enough. He is our access to God. Jesus and Jesus alone. By a single offering, Christ has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified, those who are being made into the image of Jesus. By a single offering for all time, Jesus is enough. Jesus' life, death, resurrection, that's where our hope is. That's where our faith is. Don't turn back. Don't turn to anything or anyone else. Now, I don't think, if I talk to every single person here, my guess would be, I could be wrong. My guess would be none of you are thinking today, I'm a bit tempted to go and like participate in the sacrificial system of the old covenant because I'm convinced that's how I have a relationship with God today. I'm guessing that wouldn't happen. If it would, please come talk to me. I'll talk to you about it. <laughs> really. But if you're like me and most people that I talk to today, the temptation is not that. It's to think something like, Look, as long as I'm good enough, as long as I do enough good things, as long as I help enough people, as long as I don't hurt anybody, as long as I, then I'll be okay. Then I'll have, then God and I will be fine. At the end of my life, he'll accept me and it's all good. I just have to be a good person. And can I remind you to not believe that? That is a lie. I heard a quote from, who was it from? George Whitfield, reformed preacher of the 1700s. And I'm going to, I'm going to, hopefully he'd forgive me, but I'm going to just paraphrase it a bit, modify it a bit to the way I'd more like to say it. He said something like this. You have a better shot of climbing to the moon on a rope of sand than you do to be justified by God by your works. You guys catching that? You have a better shot of climbing to the moon on a rope of sand than you do being justified in front of God, by God, because of the good works you've done. As in, you got no shot of God declaring you okay, right with God, able to go to heaven, because of things you do. You have no chance. It is only, this is why the, the over and over and over again, in every book of the Bible, it's either leading up to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, or talking about it and how it applies and why it matters. This is why it's all about Christ. It's what he did 
for us. It's a fi- he's the final word of God. Remember back in Hebrews 1? He's the final climactic word of God. And the way to him and the access to God, it never changes, ever. It's the eternal covenant, this new promise, this way of getting into relationship with God is through Christ. It will never change, and he never changes. Verse 8, I, I think, is some people's, I've met at least a few people, favorite verse. It's like Hebrews 13, verse 8. Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. In the same way that Jesus never changes, the way to God will never change. But what a comforting verse that is, or can be. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Isn't that comforting in a world that's always changing? Isn't that comforting in your own life? You know, we are changing individually. That that can be frightening at times. Jesus never changes. He is God. He is faithful. He is there. He is for us. So, let's go to him. Let's, Let's believe, no matter the cost, no matter what it will take for us to face the challenges that come our way, we will stick with Christ. That's when he starts getting into go to him outside of the camp and bear the reproach he endured. He understood how difficult it would be for the Hebrews who likely had family members, friends, people that would just were part, such an intricate part of their lives that were, that were believing they had to get access by God through the old covenant, through the sacrifices, rather than Christ. And he's saying, I know it's difficult, but go to Jesus. Even he was mocked, ridiculed, beaten, killed. Whatever it costs, go to Christ. And the message for us is whatever, whatever the cost, whatever it is, go to Christ. Will it cost us some things? Yes. Will there be sacrifices on our part? Yes. Specifically, what does he say the sacrifices for us may be? That's in verses 15 through 16. A sacrifice of praise, lips that acknowledge his name, and to do good and share what you have. One of the sacrifices that God calls us to, and when we think about it in light of his infinite sacrifice, of Jesus enduring all of the wrath of God and separated from the Godhead in order to get us in and to bring us to God, now he says, here are some sacrifices for you. Have lips that acknowledge my name. Be the kind of person, be the kind of church that are acknowledging, that are talking, praising, honoring God throughout your life, no matter what your life looks like. Be people that acknowledge his name. And don't just talk about him, live it out. To do good and to share what you have. It's more than words. And we talked some about that last week. It's our whole life. It's everything we are, everything we have Open hands, it's yours, God. How can I use it to honor you, to care for others as well? Our whole life given to him, submitted to the great shepherd. But here's one of the, maybe it's a surprise, one of the ways he calls us to submit to him, to God, is to submit to some other people that are in our lives. There's some examples. As a kid, submit to your parents. There are calls to submit to your your governing authority. Some of us really hate that one, but that's there. There's a, <laughs> submit to your church leaders. Here's what we see here. So verse 7, also verses 17 through 21. I'm going to read that for you. Verse 7 says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life, and imitate their faith. 
verses 17 through 21. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do, th- let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever Amen. I have a couple questions. Here they are. Who are your leaders? Next question. What are your leaders accountable for? Next question. What are you accountable for? I'm going to ask those questions. First question. Who are your leaders? In verse 17, in this passage, it says, those who spoke to you the word of God. Here's what the New American Commentary says about this. The leaders of the church here are described less by their office and more by their function of teaching and preaching the word of God. This designation indicates the primacy of the preaching, teaching ministry of the leaders in the church. The author does not appeal to any other ground of authority rather than the preached word. And according to the commentary, it says he's likely referring to their pastors, plural, as he will soon mention the great pastor, the great shepherd, in verse 20, which I agree with for that reason and for another reason, the fact that he will, there, will be, there are parallel passages and verses that say the same general thing, that the elders are responsible for the oversight of their, themselves, the church, and that they are accountable before God and charges for the church to submit to the leadership of the elders. So, submitting to our leaders, submitting to our elders. Before I get into that for a second, I want to acknowledge, uh, first of all, who are, who are your elders? We have myself, my name's Tori, hello. You have Pastor Nat, you have Pastor Jason, you have Pastor Rob, You have Pastor Dennis. So we have five elders, also known as shepherds, also known as overseers. The same, the words are used synonymously in 1 Peter chapter 5. They are used synonymously in Acts chapter 20. Talking about the same thing, the same responsibility, the same same honor given um, in those passages. We have um, wives that if we're not... (laughs) Not for them, uh, the crucial nature of their, their help and insight for this church, I believe personally the doors would have closed years and years and years a very long time ago if it wasn't for them. I do believe that a pastor's wife is a calling, and it's absolutely critical for our church. Then we have deacons. We have, we have a few deacons. We have uh, Brian is the deacon of uh, facilities, and we have Eric Brian Dubois, and then we have Eric and Betsy Westervelt are the deacons of benevolence. And while elders are responsible for the leading, the feeding, and the protection of the church, the deacons who also have to be qualified um, for the role are, are, are qualified assistants that serve in specific ways that are big helps 
uh, big help for the church. And so our elders are qualified men who feed, lead, and oversee, protect the church, and our deacons are qualified men and women who serve in specific ways uh, to really help, to help the church. On top of that, we have, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of ministries, and so we have multiple leaders that we, as an elder team, have appointed to, to lead, right, for our Terra Kids program, for our Terra Youth, for our, our tribes, our life groups, for our men's and women's groups that we call Poema and Imago, we have, for our young adults groups, we have leaders that, that run well and that, are, and that are serving well zealously, as the word says, that are gifted with leadership that the Holy Spirit gives to his people. And so there are many leaders in the church in these ways. But as the passage will talk about the great shepherd, the over-shepherd, and as there are parallel passages such as Acts chapter uh, 20, that talks about the elders watching over themselves and the church whom the Holy Spirit has made them overseers to be shepherds to them and for the people to submit. I think he's specifically talking about the under-shepherds, the elders that the church is to obey and submit to. Are we tracking? Are we following? That was a lot of information. Okay. So, before I get into the, the next question of... We just, we're talking about who are your leaders. But before we get into the next question, I want to address a sub-question, which is something like this. Listen, I have at the tip of my fingers, on my phone, on my computer, on my whatever, I have better, more professional, more experienced preachers, worship leaders, you name it. Anything you can think of in regards to church, you can find and you can listen to far better people, preach, teach, whatever. So why would I go to church? Why would I submit myself to church leaders when I have the best at my fingertips? It's a good question. I have a couple answers for you. I do have an answer. Okay, here you go. Here's one. Those people you're listening to have not been appointed by God to be your shepherd. They don't know your name. They don't know anything about you. You can't schedule a meeting, probably with any of them, to talk about anything. They have not been appointed by God in your life to be your shepherd. Going along the same lines, there's an element of faith here, like in every. What what does he say earlier in Hebrews? The righteous live by faith. This is the design that God has made, the local church that has a certain structure and leadership. There is faith to believe that God has appointed people that will speak, that will share, that will sing, that will pray words, things that are applicable, that matter to your life personally. There's faith there, believing. God appointed these people for a reason at this time, and I'm committed to this church, and this is for me. Does that make sense? Presence matters. He says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. We miss that when we're not together. So, who are your leaders? Second question, what are your leaders accountable for? Verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. They are keeping watch over your souls. That's strong language. Keeping watch over your souls. That sounds like a pretty big responsibility. 
And in many ways, it is. How do we keep watch over your souls? There's a lot. We could talk about this a long time. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a couple things. We are responsible, the shepherds of this church are responsible to feed, lead, and protect this church. To feed, lead, and protect you guys. By feed, I don't mean necessarily that I got to come here like, all right, what are you ordering? Panera, like get everyone food. It's feeding you the word of God. It's, give, it's knowing the word of God ourselves, each one of the, the shepherds here, each one of the elders. We, we have to know the word, have the word residing in us, and be able to teach it, share it with all of you, and to do it in a way that is truthful and caring and applicable and all those things, to bring you the word of God. We're also to lead. That means we're the gatekeepers of the direction of the church, the vision, the mission statement, the many ministries that are part of the strategy to go and to make more and better disciples of Jesus, to appoint leaders of those things, to, to check in with them, to make sure we're going in the right direction, to disperse that oversight through the five elders to make sure we have a good grasp of what's going on. These are the kinds of ways that we want to lead the church. We also want to lead by example, by our own lives. We want to lead. Feed, lead, and then protect. Protection comes in, in a couple ways. One would be if someone's coming in here and clearly teaching something that's counter to what God has revealed in his word, we want to address that. We don't just let it fly. False teaching, heretical teaching, we want to be on top of. We want to make sure good, not poisonous food is being fed to the church. If someone comes in and we find out, which if we find out they are hurting anybody, physically, emotionally, spiritually, we want to know about it, we want to address it. It's not just fine, do whatever you want. Shepherds have the staff for a reason. So, feed, lead, protect. It is above any of our authority to send anyone to heaven or to hell. We just can't do that. But what we can do is look and to see and to watch over souls to see are we heading in the right direction? Does it seem like your life is lining up with what God has taught? Are, are, we, are we leading you towards him? We can do that. Keeping watch over your souls, for we will give an account. We will give an account. Why will we give an account? We will give an account because you matter to God. Your life matters to God. So how we treat you, how we lead you, how we listen or don't listen to you, how we, it all matters to him because he cares for you. He cares for how you're led. So we will give an account. Now, there are two potential mistakes a pastor can make in this regards of accountability. One would be something like, this is this extreme of pastor worship, where, you know, roll out the red carpet, the pastor's coming, they know everything, they will give us the answer no matter what, and it's just a celebration of all the pastors, and they're more than human, and that kind of thing. We don't really struggle with that, <laughs> okay? But the other extreme is my pastor's just my pal. And there's no, they're just like all of us in every way and that they don't really have any kind of authority or you know, maybe they were, they were placed there by God, appointed by the Holy Spirit, Acts says, but they're just, they don't actually have any authority. That, that's 
more of the danger of our church. That's more of where I would lean to, of kind of shirking any kind of responsibility of the fact that God is going to keep me accountable for how I lead and what I say and all those things. I'd rather lean towards this side of, like, I'm just, you know, it's not, it's not real responsibility. Yes, it is. And passages like this remind me of that. So we, we, wanna, we want the balance of please don't have an unrealistic pastor worship type mentality that's sinful and wrong where you have this unrealistic expectation of us. But at the same time, <laughs> please respect that God did appoint us to this. It's really, like, it's uncomfortable for me to say that. I'll just say that. But it's true. And so what's, what's the balance there? How do, we, how do we keep that in balance? Because as we know, this, this culture that we live in will very much try to tell us, don't, be, don't submit to anyone. <laughs> you are your own fill in the blank. Okay? But this is what our pastors are called to. Uh, verse 18 says, pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. So, I can speak for myself and for the pastors of this church that everything else aside, we are attempting in good conscience to act honorably in leading the church. There's no, there's no secret mission. There's no side plot of like, getting, you know, filthy rich and leaving, like, no, like, it's, we're wanting to honor God, we want to serve his people, we want to walk alongside you and help, help us get closer to Christ. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. Okay, so, who are your leaders, what are you, what are our leaders accountable for? Next, what are you accountable for? What are you accountable for? First of all, we are all accountable to obeying and submitting our lives to God, all of it. That's easy to say and hard to do. All of my life is yours, God. I will submit to you, to your will, what you want, your word. That's easy to say. That's hard to do. I'm going to go down a little bit of a side road for just a second. I think some of us may be a bit worried of having any kind of responsibility to the church because we're worried, how is God going to keep me accountable for this? What if, I, what if I don't do a good job and God's angry with me or God fill in the blank? I want to remind you real quick. You, you read, we had, Pastor Rob read the parable of the sower. There's another parable called the parable of the talents where the master gives one talent to three servants, goes away for a while, comes back, one of them's now got 10. One of them's got five. One of them hid it in the ground and then brought it to his master, just the one. And what happens? The master says to the one who had 10, awesome job, great. To the five, awesome job, great, well done, good and faithful servant. Do you remember what he said to the third one that dug it in the ground and brought it to the master? Wicked, you wicked servant. Did not do a good job. I point this out for one specific reason. Do you remember why that servant dug it into the ground and kept it there and then brought it to the master? Because he said, I knew you were a strict, I knew you were a harsh master. So I wanted to make sure 
I had this to bring to you. I think some of the reasons that we don't pursue leadership, serving, fill in the blank for the church is sometimes maybe you have the wrong idea about God. Do you view him as this harsh master that's just waiting to judge you and correct you and tell you how terrible of a job you did? That's not God. That's not Jesus. He wants us to flourish. He wants us to succeed. He's proud of us when you try, when you take risks, when you put yourself out there, when you're vulnerable, when you, when you serve, when you try. First, we're submitting to God every area of our life, serving him and his kingdom. Secondly, what are you accountable for? The passage tells us, to the leaders of your church. Now, if submitting your life to God is easy to say and hard to do, Submitting to your church leaders is hard to say and hard to do for many of us, right? I don't even want to say that I'm accountable to another person, to someone in church, I'm accountable to them. He says, yes. That's hard for us, partly because, again, the society we live in. N.T. Wright says in his commentary on Hebrews for Everyone, one of the challenges of being a church leader is the present mood of Western society in which all authority seems suspect, and all the power, all power is assumed to corrupt people, giving an extra excuse for people who want to do their own thing rather than submit in any way to what anyone else says. <laughs> that sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? That's the attitude that pervades, that's very prevalent around us. I don't want to, I don't want to listen to anyone. You can't tell me what to do. You can't tell me what's right and what's wrong. I'm the master of my own fate and my own captain and all those things. Do we see this in church life today? Yes, we do. One of the most obvious places we see it is when it comes to church discipline, also known as church restoration. When someone, when I talked about protection, one of the uh, responsibilities of the elders is to protect the church. That includes at times when a sheep starts beating themselves up. When someone starts embracing something that scripture says is wrong as part of a lifestyle and thinks it's fine to not have to fight that or try or bring that to anyone or, and just live in sin. We don't want to, we don't, we're responsible to not just say that's fine, that's okay, but instead bring that to the Lord, turn from that, repent. Come back to the Lord, come back to the church into fellowship. And I've seen more than once where when we go and we have that conversation, and I, I mean it, it's, I'm not, I'm not like bringing the hammer saying, let me just tell you all the ways that you're terrible. It's, it's, let's talk about this together and figure out how do you turn from this thing. And I've seen more than once where instead of listening, instead of some step of submitting towards what the elders are saying in this sin issue, it's instead, I'm going somewhere else. I'm going to hop to another church because that's easy. Because I don't need to, I can blend in somewhere else. I don't need to be held accountable here. I can just go down the road. I can go somewhere where maybe they won't find out about this thing. Where I can do life the way I want to. And not submit to anyone. That's a lot easier to do. And it's a good way to break. It's a good way to break our hearts is what it is. While I'm on the topic, another really great way to break the hearts of your pastors is to be, to be committed to the church, to serve, to seemingly be going in the right direction for a while, and then you leave without 
talking about why, and you say you don't want to, that's a great way to break our hearts. What it shows is a lack of understanding of what God has called us to, a lack of commitment, a lack of truly caring about pleasing God and being part of a family is what it is. Instead of letting that toxic, bad witness kind of lifestyle define our lives, let's be the people that say, I'm going to commit to God. I'm going to commit to his church. Once I choose one, I'm going to commit and submit to him and to the leaders he's put in place. Now, I know some of you are thinking, when are you going to get to some of the examples of when submitting to your leaders is not right? Who's thinking that? That's okay. <laughs> the answer is, it's never okay. I'm kidding. <laughs> there, are, there are some, yes. There's at least two. If we're getting core doctrines wrong, shouldn't submit. If there are character flaws to the point where it's disqualifying, that's a problem and needs to be addressed, and you shouldn't submit. So I'm going to be brief on this. If we're getting core doctrines wrong, what are some of those? Jesus, his deity, death, resurrection. If we're getting the Trinity wrong, if we're getting the inerrancy of Scripture wrong, if we're teaching wrong doctrine about salvation, that it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone, that the Scripture is the final authority in our lives. If we teach you to do something that the Scripture says is sin, when the Jewish council told Peter, stop talking about Jesus. Remember what Peter's response is? Was, are we going to listen to God or are we going to listen to man? Like, Jesus told us to go and share the news. They just told us not to. We're going to listen to what God has said. So if we're teaching you to do something that is sin, please don't listen to that. Paul said, something, Paul said follow me as I follow Christ. Okay? So could talk for a while about the, 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 in, the walking contradictions everyone, including pastors, can be, and our weaknesses, and ways we could, we could serve or lead better. Absolutely. But if it's not contradicting these core doctrines, if it's not a character flaw that, that is in line with 1 Timothy 3, Titus chapter 1, that are disqualifying us from leading, there are plenty of excuses we can make to live however we want and to not hold any weight or, or give any weight to the leaders that God has appointed in our lives. God will keep us accountable. He will. So, let's be a church, as the passage says, that helps our leaders lead in a way that is joyful and not with groaning. Not with groaning. It's his design. It's God's design. And he is, in fact, the great shepherd of the sheep. He's all of our pastors that we are accountable to. And we're reminded of that in the benediction and the closing in verses 20 through 25. So stay with me and just listen to how this letter ends. He says, Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, 
working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I will see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with you all. Grace be with you all. He's, he ends this letter. He ends this brief word of exhortation, which took us over a year to get through, and that's okay, with remember our great shepherd. Remember Jesus, who purchased for us this forever, this eternal covenant, this access to God through his life, death, and resurrection. And when you get discouraged, please remember that he can do what no one else can do. He cannot just tell, he doesn't just tell us the truth and lead us in the right direction to go this way. He can get inside. He can work in us, in our hearts, to want to follow and then to give us what we need in order to follow him. There's a mystery here of how how do we follow God and put as much effort as we can to that, but at the same time understanding it's all by grace, and it's all by Christ working in us at the same time. How does that work? I'm going to end you with a quote from, again, N.T. Wright on on his commentary, Hebrews for Everyone. He says, here we are at the heart of the mystery of Christian living. Christian leadership, and Christian work for the kingdom. It's quite clear from the whole letter that to inhale in such a work requires effort, determination, and patience. The fact that God is at work within us as individuals and communities does not take that away. But as we prepare for the work, engage in it, and thank God for it when it's done, we must never forget that it's ultimately something that he does mysteriously in and through us. It's by the grace of God that we are what we are. By the grace of God. And may, through Jesus, may we have the grace to believe and to live like he is better. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we have... We have learned a lot in this letter to the Hebrews. We started off by saying how it, it almost sounds like that, that odd uncle who keeps talking about very specific things that we don't really understand and not sure exactly where he's going with it and all this talk about the, about the sacrificial system and, and the high priests and Melchizedek and all these terms and things that, are confu- that were confusing to us, Lord. But all of it, God was about your fulfillment of that old covenant and that you are, in fact, better and worth pursuing with our whole lives. And God, I pray that you help us to run well. You help us, Lord, to rely on you, on each other, on the leadership that you appoint, but mostly on you, Jesus, the great shepherd. We are all, in that sense, we are all sheep And we all need you. We all need you to lead us, Lord, not just from the outside, but as this letter ends, from the inside, to work in us that which is pleasing in your sight. So God, thank you for that work. Thank you for what you are doing in each one of us. And we pray, God, as as we move into this next series of evangelism, that you help us to not just keep it to ourselves, 
not just to keep Jesus to ourselves, but to be people that are joyfully sharing and that you help us, God, to not be afraid, to not be overwhelmed, but to be excited, to be on mission for you. Lead us, Jesus, we pray, our great shepherd. Amen.